What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. As you guys know by now, my name is Shane Larson, host of the show. I've been doing this for almost seven years now, and today is another exciting interview that I'm excited to share with you guys. Uh, very, very cool opportunity to learn for someone who's played at the professional level for a long time now and has had experience in not only the NBA level, but also playing overseas. We get to hear the ins and outs of all of it. you know. And it's not like his experience was smooth sailing the entire time. Uh, we're going to learn about taking advantage of opportunities when they've been given to you, outworking the other individuals in your sport, uh, learning from playing multiple sports and the things you can take from one sport to the next sport to the next sport, and also understanding and putting into perspective the different parts of life and understanding that it's not like the sport that you play is not who you are. It's, it's what you do. Uh, but there's so many other things that are important and the life lessons you can learn through playing at a high level. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, which is DeLuca Insurance Group. Discover the savings at DeLuca Insurance. Whether it's auto, home, motorcycle, or recreational vehicles, we've got your back, Idaho. And when it comes to life insurance, trust a local agent who cares about your best interests. Save today and protect your tomorrow with DeLuca Insurance. Call Kara Lee at 208-813-7273. Again, a shout out to DeLuca Insurance Group. I'm going to put their information in the description of this podcast. So if you're in, in interested in utilizing their services, please call them at the number that I just listed here, 208-813-7273. You'll see it here in the description, or just make sure to head to their website and um, get in contact with them there. All right. So again, Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Super cool experience to hear from a professional hooper. Uh, he's got a lot of experience and a lot of cool stories that I think everyone should take note of. So get ready. This is the Game Time Guru. So what's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru podcast. Shane Larson here, host of the show. Excited to be here with you. Another another week, another interview with an amazing sports figure who's going to share some insight uh, to, to the rest of us, for the rest of us, um, that we can probably take with us, learn more about him and what he's doing, what he's providing to um, the world as well, outside of just athletics and playing the sport of basketball. He's got a lot of stuff that he's doing as well to help give back. And um, he's sharing his knowledge with the rest of us. So we're going to learn all about that today. And I want to just say thank you if you are tuning in. Again, uh, as I said in the introduction, I just love new people joining the, the podcast, listening for the first time. Welcome aboard. We've been doing this for almost seven years now. We're in 180 countries. All 50 states have listened to the show. And it's thanks in, in part to all those who have listened. So thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. And a shout out to DeLuca Insurance Group. As you guys heard in the introduction, that is the sponsor of today's podcast. So thank you guys. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and give us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps get the show out to more and more people. That's all I ask. I don't ask for anything else but a review on the show. So joining us today, as you guys heard, professional basketball player. His name is Tyron, uh, sorry, Tyron Johnson. Uh, and he's going to be sharing his story. So Tyron, thanks so much for joining the show, man. Uh, thanks for inviting me, man. Um, I'm always open for having conversations like this, especially about the game and life and game time guru situations. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go. I mean, I, I forgot to even say thank you to Dre Baldwin, too. Dre connected us. Um, so if you guys recall, I can put that link here in the description as well. But Dre joined my show about four years ago, met him at a, a work event for a marketing conference four years ago. And Dre connected me. I was talking to him in Orlando, Florida. And He's like, man, I got some people that you need to chat with. And he connected me with you. And I'm, I'm just grateful for that because I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah, dude, this sounds awesome. So shout out to Dre as well. So Tyron, I want to rewind the clock real quick before we got to the professional level. You know, I've been ever since I got connected with you, I, I checked out your website. I listened to your latest episode of your podcast. Like um, 
it's really cool what you got going on, man. It's I love the mindset that you have. I want to ask you a little bit about that. I want to get to all that, um, the make and pay stuff, everything that you got going on. But I want to rewind the clock and kind of tell the listeners and learn myself how you got here, right? Because there's a story behind it. So from what it sounds like, uh, from the little that I was able to to research, it hasn't just been a smooth sail and ride. I mean, you've gone through some ups and downs to get to where you're at. And that's part of the life. You know, I always say it's like a heartbeat. You know, sports are like a heartbeat. You don't want it to be a flat line. It's ups and downs. But uh, I want to talk about your basketball experience. So, Tyron, growing up, let's talk about your environment growing up. Did you, did you grow up with any siblings who were also athletes, uh, family members, parents, anyone who was athletes around you? What was it like growing up, and when did you really get into the sports world? Well, um, my brothers are old. I was a baby. My mama had me when she was 40. So <laughs> my, my brothers right now are like 55. Oh, okay, okay. So, Shout out to your I, mom. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I had a sister who was probably the best scorer in town at the time. So but the crazy thing is she never really played basketball with me. She just, I was the little, I was the little brother, but for some reason, I always catered to the older crowd. I used to be the, um, I used to sweep the hair in the barbershops. So I always was in the barbershop conversations. So all of my friends were, I was four years old and my friends were like 15, 16. I started playing baseball at four. So I was playing wow. nine, nine and 10 year old baseball. My uncle lied about my uh, birth certificate. <laughs> and um, I was really four, but he was acting like I was eight. But I was pitching at four years old. So I started playing sports since four. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Man, okay. So you, you had, so you, growing up, you had a lot of the older influences with you. So it kind of helps you grow pretty quickly, which uh, is very interesting. Do you recall any of those days when you were playing when you're four years old? Or was like, do you not remember much about that? Clearest day, like right in the back, my backyard, we had like a baseball field, a basketball court. But back in those days, baseball was the game to play. So you ever see the the, the baseballs with the the finger placement for the curveball, uh -huh. the slider? So I started I started pitching with that at about four years old, and I would use the tennis ball on the house when I didn't have access to the the gym. We, we put a a strike zone on the bricks of our house. And we would just use a tennis ball, and we'll that's how I'll work on my pitching. But I remember those days clear as day. The first four years of my life, I pitched left handed, and I realized I was right handed when I was like nine when I started playing like on a national scene. <laughs> oh, okay, that's wild, man. So, okay, did you, you just didn't know you were right handed, or like I are you ambidextrous? Did. Do you use your left hand to write and right hand to shoot a basketball and pitch? Yes. Like, what? Yes, I use my left hand with everything except I shoot right-handed. Really? That's yes. wild, <laughs> Yeah. So I thought since I write with my left hand, I'll play basketball. I'll make a lot of passes with my left hand. I was shooting my left hand. I was like, man, I really can't shoot. I'm just like an athletic point guard at the moment. But then I started shooting my right hand. I was like, I got some range. <laughs> Yo, that's so, crazy. Yep. It literally, I found out I was right-handed. I dove, I was playing shortstop as a left-handed, which was, was, was rare at the time. And I dove for a shot that was in the uh, the gap. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, I dove on my own where it was stuck. So I just picked it up my right hand and threw it in my right hand. And everybody was like, what just happened? <laughs> and that's when I realized I was right-handed. Yo, that's wild, man. That's actually really, really cool. Yeah. So growing up, I guess, you know, playing 
baseball at a young age. Uh, what did you take from baseball that you were able to translate into basketball when you started to actually play on the court? I would say um, in baseball, I always I played infield, so I'm always staying low. And I always realized that in basketball and baseball, the low man wins. So even when I break on certain balls, when I was low, I was quicker. Same in basketball. When I make certain moves, I can feel once I'm lower than you, it's over for you. That's my that's my whole little saying. Once if I'm lower than you, it's over for you, right? <laughs> so plus the eye hand coordination, um, the precision. One of my most underrated skills, I think, in basketball is my passing ability. People see the assist, but if you look at the assist, I played quarterback too for like twelve years. The uh -huh. passes are like on the money. I take big pride in throwing my passes into like um, the shooter's pocket, you know? So I started playing quarterback at six and um, all of those, I think playing every sport really helped me carve out basketball. I didn't start playing basketball really till I was like 16, like really playing basketball. Wow. So those other sports build me up to be a basketball player. You know, what's crazy is that it's kind of a lost thing nowadays. Tyron, when I, talk to like I coach basketball and it's not very common anymore where everyone's playing multiple sports I mean when we were growing up I'm 35 but like when I was growing up it's very common to, to play football basketball baseball soccer something like you were playing multiple sports it seemed like and now there's a huge focus on like singling out a sport once you get into like a certain age group because there's club sports AAU and stuff like that that a lot of kids are going to there's camps all year round for football and seven on seven for football, like off season stuff. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. Like, do you have any thoughts on the evolution of athletics, especially in the middle school, high school age where they're starting to silo themselves into one sport? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. I just want to know what your perspective is. It drives me crazy because I feel that a lot of this is being pushed by the parents uh, and a lot, a lot of parents down in Louisiana, where I be most of the time, a lot of parents are living through the kids. And where we're from, it's a lot of success. We got a lot of NFL players, like not too much basketball players, but a lot of NFL players. And they're like, my son has to be the next one up. And I'm seeing these kids. I do camps in the summer. And these kids, I do camps in Louisiana, Idaho, and Wyoming. And when I'm in Louisiana, when I'm in Idaho and Wyoming, it's fun. They're learning, but it's fun. When I do my camps in Louisiana, they're looking for opportunity to get to the next level yeah. at nine and 10 years old, bro. So, and I'm like, it takes away the, the reason why I play multiple sports, not only that you build multiple skills, but you get to compete year round. Nowadays, these, a lot of kids are just drilling and drilling and drilling. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's arguing. Nobody's getting through adversity. It's just kind of do it again. Okay, we'll do double cross layup. Do it again. No, go play one. -on find you a workout partner, a one-on-one -on -one partner. Find you y'all side versus my side. That just brought the competitiveness out of you, and it made you your skills got better because you didn't want to lose. You didn't have to train. <laughs> yeah. You know, nowadays, that's a lost art because we're kind of stopping kids from competing it's not it's not cool to compete anymore it, it used to be cool to be the man now being a man you looked at as cocky or arrogant it's like bro you wanted to be the big dog when you i wanted to be picked first <laughs> like, yeah you know so 
it's killing me. I ain't gonna lie, it's killing me. No, it's such an interesting perspective. And even as a coach of club basketball, I that's what I'm saying is like I see, yeah, I don't know. I, I see it in the kids. I'm like, man, um, you're getting kind of like you'll see the kids that develop early and 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 some of them just stick with basketball from like eighth grade on. And I'm like, guys, like even though I love coaching them, I'm like, you guys got to give something else a shot too. Like it's, it, there's so many benefits to it. And just even hearing you like shortstop quarterback point guard, like you're, you're the dog in each one of them, you know, each sport that you're playing. And it's like, but you learn so much from each of them. Like you just said, baseball, lowest man wins. Like if I'm lower, it's over What that kind of deal. Like that concept, like you've learned those types of things from competing in different sports, but just the competition factor is huge. Tyron, I'm glad you brought that up because I think now, even when I'm coaching, I've told kids like when the, competition rises sometimes a lot of my kids buckle because they don't have the right mindset just because they're not used to the competition like guys like we're seniors in high school here that you're <laughs> you should be used to this like you should be ready for this you should actually enjoy this this shouldn't be something that makes you anxious this should be something that makes you rise up like you elevate your game you you match the intensity with poise and control so anyway uh without going on a tangent i just i, I love everything that you said right there now you mentioned idaho doing camps dude that's where i'm from i live in idaho so what what part of <laughs> idaho random that's wild, dude. So where are you That's at in Idaho that you're doing these camps in? Because that was random. That's crazy. You're in Idaho. Um, I'm Idaho Falls. I'm in Idaho Falls. Thunder Ridge High School. Okay. At yeah. Thunder Ridge. Yeah, I'm very familiar with it. So I'm in Boise. So I'm in the Treasure Valley. I'm about four hours away from Idaho Falls. But I'm very familiar with Thunder Ridge and all the schools out here. I actually help cover high school athletics around here because I coach basketball. So I, uh, yeah, I know all the schools out here, man. I had no idea you had ties to Idaho. That's yeah. wild. I'm what a random connection. I'm working with some guys. We were working on the investment. I kind of got out of it at the last moment because I wouldn't be able to be in Idaho so much. I thought I was going to retire this season, but then I'm oh, coming okay. back. But it's called 24 Hoops. It's in uh, it's in Boise. Dude, <laughs> look at this. So for all the people listening, like this, I'm learning stuff right now as we're speaking, and it's like just clicking. What in the heck, dude? That's crazy. Yeah. So who's yeah. your business partners running that? Do you, are you allowed to say that? Yeah, a guy named Kaysen. Um, and uh, Lee Tolton, yeah, Lee Tolton I, is the head coach of uh, Thunder Ridge, and I think uh, Kason was his assistant. But Kason went back to Boise and he gonna run a gym full time now. I was supposed to be in Boise all summer. <laughs> that's wild, man. What a <laughs> that's, that's so crazy. crazy, small world, yeah, huh? very small world, man. So, I coach uh, for a club, this is my third year coaching for it's called Idaho Premier, but like. I went to school out here, Meridian High School. Like I'm in the I'm in the Boise area my whole entire life, born and raised. That's why they call me the Boise Buckeye because I'm an Ohio State fan too. But I'm a Boise State grad and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, random connections, man. Uh, wild yeah. how the sports world just brings you together. So, Tyron, as you were growing up, at, you said you started playing basketball at the age of 16, like really getting into it seriously. At what point, when you were in the high school age group, did you realize, like, man, I can play at the next level? At, at any level of collegiate, whether it be JUCO, whatever, like when did you know that you could actually play at the next level? Never. Uh, I, I never knew. Like I came, my whole thing was I got cut three times. I really? Cut, yeah, I got cut eighth grade year, ninth grade year. I, I got cut seventh grade year. Um, my eighth grade year, we go to high school, but they sent me back to the junior school because they basically cut me. So they just sent me down. Ninth grade year, they said that my coach, who was my cousin, actually, he told me, um, if you wasn't on the bus, then you must be you, you missed you missed the opportunity. He want he didn't want to tell me that he cut me, so he just said that since you missed the bus, I guess you didn't make the team. My tenth grade year, I finally made the team. Uh, I made junior varsity, and my junior year, 
was my first year playing varsity and I averaged like 21 and went to state championship my first year playing. and so when I seen those guys on the top level in my state I started doing like I started putting together this program like just chasing down everybody that was good I found a way to get in front of them and that's how I kind of like got noticed because I just played against all the best players in the state and I dominated all those games. So that's when I started realizing like, oh, these dudes ain't as good as I thought they were. I'm just from a country town. There's no newspapers back here. There's no news coverage. So when I got in front of them, I was playing a five because I was six, six, like 150 soaking wet. But I was really a wing. So when I started playing against other college wings, I was like, oh, I've, I belong. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so that that summer, I caught the eye of one AAU team that put me on the team, and most of the guys were getting recruited. I had no recruits by the end of the summer. I had all the recruits, and I was like, oh, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're, you're recruiting. So from AAU, did you feel like you got more exposure from the AAU experience than you did from the high school experience where you were from? Oh, I don't play AAU. We're not on the phone. Right? We're not on this podcast right now. AAU is the only reason I got noticed. Wow. Okay. Even though you were, you were, you know, state championship, like all that stuff, like that wasn't really getting you any exposure in Louisiana. Cause I played, my school had 90 people. So I played in a, oh. the, the, um, it's called two way. It was a very small school. Yeah. It's very known for athletics. We got NFL players and everything, but, um, you just, it's a country town. It's kind of like, we got six slave plantations in my community, bro. So it's like really? very country, you know? <laughs> Wow. Okay. You got no news coverage anywhere down there. For football, yes. But basketball or baseball, I was getting recruited to play baseball more than I was getting recruited to play basketball. Interesting, man. Okay. This is, this is, yeah, this is awesome to hear. So the AAU experience then. Okay. So we talked about it. Like, I mean, there's some good and bad things to like club basketball, AAU basketball, where, you know, some kids are getting siloed into it, but I do feel as a coach of club basketball, like if given the right circumstance, a lot of these players can grow. And even from my experience here in Idaho, we don't get a ton of exposure. And so it gives these kids a chance to go play against kids from California, Arizona, everywhere across the country, Texas, everything. And it gets them a chance to elevate their game, but also be seen. Uh, they get to go to tournaments where they're able to be seen. And I've seen a lot of kids in the last three years really progress in just like a three or four month season of club basketball. Like, they're able to like play their own game. It's a new system. They're outside of their, you know, they're playing with other kids that are better, you know, so it elevates their game. Um, so it sounds like that was the same for you, Tyron. When you got to the AU game, I guess, what was the biggest thing besides being recruited? What did you feel like helped you the most in development for your, uh, for your game in the sport of basketball with AAU? Well, I would say to pick it back off what you said, um, AU was different when I was coming out. Now, AAU, everyone can play. Yes. At, at this time, you had to be that guy. You, could, you couldn't be normal. You had to be that guy to get on that team. So when you got on the team, it was nine other guys who was that guy where it was. So really and truly, I'm going to just be honest with you, bro. Playing in my neighborhood, I played with a bunch of drug dealers who were really good, that went to jail, couldn't get nowhere so they come back to the hood and they play and they beat me up like beat me up every day so i was like i got super physical and when i got back to the guys my age like in aau i was like dominated 
But seeing those other guys, seeing guys six six that can handle the ball, shoot the ball, I'm like, oh, this is possible. Because I thought I was an alien, you know. <laughs> because if you six three, where I'm from, you a five man. Yeah, you know, it's not a basketball town; it's a football town. So me being six six, they try to put me on the block, and I'm like, I don't fit here. So when I played on my AAU <laughs> team, I seen I was one of the smallest guys, right? And then I started playing these tournaments, and I really got noticed. We played in Houston Kingswood. We played against Kevin Durant team. He's 6'10", and he's the point guard pretty much. I had 34 that game, and I had a scholarship the next morning. <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> That's exactly how it happened. That's wild, bro. Um, and I'm glad you said that, though, because, man, I, for those listening right now, I know I have a lot of players that I've coached that listen to this podcast, and I'm encouraging them. I'm going to let them know, like, you need to listen to this one specifically because they relate to basketball players. Listen to this, because even in Idaho, Tyron, we have like I we joke about it. We're like, if you're six three or six anywhere between six three, six five, you're a five. And yeah. I'm like, when when not everybody has the chance to play AAU or club basketball, but when we go and play, it's the same thing. We're like, oh, yeah, you're you're six foot three and you're playing the five. Well, guess what? That's that's a point guard. So yeah. just so you know, they're gonna be you're gonna be guarding this dude who can handle the ball. Like that's just the reality of it, especially when you get to like the division one level. But I've seen it even at the junior college level now with like how the bounce backs are happening and NIL deals are happening. COVID year has like funneled a lot of junior college talent. So it's harder to even make junior college teams now. Cause those guys are all 20, 21 years old and they're coming out of the high school 18 and they're big, physical, athletic, everything. Um, that is really cool. But one thing that stood out to me when you said that Tyron is that you, you're playing Kevin Durant's team and you put up 34, you took advantage of the opportunities. Um, and I think that's one of the things could you, I mean, you have the mindset to do that. It's obvious because you've been able to play at the professional level too. But before we even get to that, it, it sounds like you've always had that dog mindset. Like you've had a mindset that's different. Can you maybe explain a little bit about that? Like, where did that come from? That, did that come from just growing up playing with the older kids all the time? Like you said, in the in the neighborhood you're from, you're playing with the guys who, you know, had a rough background, drug dealers and so forth who were coming out, you know. How did you develop that mindset? How does one actually develop that killer mindset? Because you just go in there and you're not nervous, like, or at least you're not scared to execute, I should say. I got this, like, uh, I wrote this in a book. That's why the book is called Make Them Pay. It's like my whole life is based around this mentality and mindset. And it's similar to Kobe's mama mentality, but I've just been doing it before I even know who Kobe was. It was, I was always the young kid. Like, I was always playing up. So, they treated me like I was the young kid. Like back then, some would call it bullying today. I call it the best, the best experience I ever had because I had to earn everything. So having to earn everything meant that there's a lot of people that didn't believe in me. When I played quarterback, oh, he's too slow. He's a pocket passer. You're black, bro. You got to run. I'm like, no, I can thank the game. I can, I can drop back and let it fly. It's like, oh, well, you're 6'6", so you have to be a pitcher. No, I'm an infielder, and I'm going to show you I'm an infielder. Um, basketball, you're a big man. No, I'm not. I can do everything, and I'm going to show you I can do everything. So it was always trying to prove myself to, to belong because I was the goofy kid that nobody took serious. Everybody laughed at me because – not laughed at me, but I didn't get bullied, but I was a jokester. I had a comeback for everything. So when I used to be like, yeah, I'm going to the league, they'd be like, yeah, that's Tyron just talking. But I was yeah. serious. <laughs> and I was like, I used to have this paper. I would write everybody's name down who said that I wouldn't play Division One basketball. And that's been my mindset. Like, you're going to pay. 
But if I'm going to even get to sense you got young kids developing this, I'm going to just be very vulnerable and transparent. The whole notion behind this whole making pay mentality started with my family. I had, um, I grew up in one area and my family grew up, my family grew up in other areas. So my dad and my mom split. Okay. Right. So my dad's side was like 10 minutes down the road. I never seen him. I, n- I still have, well, my grandmama has died, but I never had a relationship with them. So wow. my mentality was by any means necessary, they're going to see me in the paper. <laughs> and I changed my last name. So my, just so I can make them, my whole mentality was I'm going to play so good that my grandmama and my, my grandfather gets to see me in the paper and they feel bad about it. That was my push. That, that, that's what pushed me. I wanted my aunties on that side of the family. I wanted my uncles, my cousins, everybody to be like, damn, my little cousin down the road is killing it. And whenever they tried to come around me, I'll be like, I'm not your cousin. I was bitter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that fueled me. All the way until now. So that's how that's how that's how I build that whole mentality. That's so interesting, man. And and uh that's I, I love learning about people's stories because I love that you mentioned that it fueled you because that's that's a huge thing. Like some people could let that just completely destroy them, but you used it as fuel, literally, and you still are like it. You and some people like want to you took receipts, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're writing names down of people, and, and that's okay. Like you gotta use something that's it takes stuff to get you to another level there's a reason you're playing at the level that you're playing at even still to this day because you have that mindset and i'd encourage the listeners to rewind that and play it again i'm not saying like like not everybody that is listening to this might have the same situation as you but there's probably some things that have been said about certain people that have dreams and aspirations so like find a way to i would encourage them to find a way to make it happen uh dude that's that's crazy now one thing you said earlier tyron was you were six six a buck 50 soaking wet when you were younger at what point did you feel like, was it in high school or like the end of high school going into college? Like, did you feel like your body transition? You started putting on some muscle and so forth, like to get ready for the next level of the game. Like, so for those who are listening, who might be like, man, my son or whoever is like really little, like they're skinny. They're not going to be able at what point did it actually like happen for you where your body started maturing and you were able to hit the weight room and stuff happened in, in that sense? The thing about me was I started lifting at 11. So I started lifting okay. real early. I got one of those Walmart uh weight room uh benches that had the leg extension at the bottom of it yeah yeah so i got one of them we started lifting real early because we all thought we was going to the nfl so i was five eight like 140 so uh second string quarterback and i was super fast and stuff like that so i wasn't awkward five eight one forty i was still kind of like put together for that age around 14 years old and on the on the on the roster, it said Tyron Johnson five eight one forty, two thousand two thousand two or three or whatever year it was, and the next year was Tyron Johnson six five one fifty. So whoa. I grew so I grew all those inches in one summer, in like two months. I grew from like five eight to six five. I grew in height, but I only grew. I only add ten pounds of weight with the with the height. So I was really, really skinny, couldn't walk, knee problems, um, what do you call it, knee extension, um, patella tendonitis, um, all of this. So I had to learn mobility exercise. Oh, that's a whole nother story. But super weak, lost all my arm strength, everything. But when I got to college, 
in one month, I went from like 160 to like 190 in college in like one month. I just did not understand how to train. All of my training was just hustle, just playing hard. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to outwork everybody. That was my training. I didn't have no training. I didn't know how to make five in a spot, five in a row. I didn't know how to use screens. My coach told me to get in the triple threat. I'm like, what is a triple threat? I didn't, oh, like, wow. I didn't have no idea. It was just all hustle. But when I got to college, they put me on a meal plan, started protein shakes, and we lifted two, three times a day. And I went from like, I gained like 30 pounds in like one year. That's wild, actually. All of that's wild, like 5'8 to 6'5. And then, like, so many, uh, so many of my players would be like, <laughs> they're probably so jealous to hear that. Like, gosh, dude, 5'8, yeah. 6'5. That's Anthony Davis stuff right there, like 6'2 to 6'10, like yeah. two years. Uh, but 30 pounds in a in a, a year is also crazy. Uh, but I, I do think that that's not too uncommon if you're putting in the work and the meal plans and stuff that you're talking about. Because as your body matures, you get to the 18 to 21 year old range. Like your body's going to start putting on some mass one way or another. So it's either muscle or not. And uh, as long as you're putting in the work. Now, I want to ask you, Tyler, just so everybody knows, what school did you end up going to right out of high school um, as far as playing basketball? University of Louisiana. Some will call it Louisiana Lafayette, but it's University of Louisiana Raging Cajuns. <laughs> there we go. We got Raging Cajuns, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Um, so what was the biggest transition for you going from high school basketball? I know you you played in a smaller school to the next level at that level, have you? Was there a transition as far as physicality or anything, or was maybe the academics? I like to ask these players this because sometimes the, the student athlete side of it's actually the hardest transition for some of them because they're like, dang, dude, I actually have to keep my grades up. This sucks. Um, or was it more of the physical athletic side of things that was a big transition for you? Uh, I would say the, not even the physical, I would say the basketball knowledge. Uh, I just, I didn't have the feeling of basketball. Like I didn't know if you drive to like, just get down in the dunkers area, I might have a layup. I still to this day struggle with, like basketball rhythm, I should call it. Uh-huh. Like I have to work extremely hard because I played football and baseball majority of my life. I really don't. Basketball is like, I'm like, this is a hustle. This is easy. These guys cry a lot. They're soft. I can just beat them up. So that's why I played the game. It was never out of love. It grew to love, but it was never like a game that I really loved. So when I got to college, school was easy. My mama was a teacher and she was the most strictest, like strictest teacher in the <laughs> county. Uh, so school, I majored in history, education is a lot of work, but school always came easy to me. Uh, the physicality, I was super athletic, so they didn't, I outworked people so much that it was easy for me. Yeah. But if you tell me to set a back screen and pop, I don't know what that is. You tell me, go to the elbow. I, what you mean? I don't know what the elbow is. Like, you know what I'm saying? You tell me relocate. I had no basketball knowledge whatsoever. I went to school. I lied. I like my whole. I lied on everything. It was like everything they asked me about basketball. I was like, yes, I know all of this. I didn't know none of that. <laughs> hey, you, you, it's a salesman mentality, though. You you you'll figure it out at some point. You, you knew you were capable of playing. You just you know you got to sell yourself a little bit. You know, <laughs> I had to get out of that town, bro. By any means necessary, I had to get out of my town. So when I got to college, I just did not understand college basketball. I didn't even know yeah. what that was. <laughs> so that was the hard part for me, just understanding basketball. So I guess to to piggyback off that then, Tyron, um, how did you develop that understanding and that knowledge? Was it through film study or just repetition after repetition? Was it 
getting embarrassed on the court because you didn't know where you're supposed to be? Like, I don't know. Like, what was it that actually helped you kind of gain that knowledge? Film study and people study. I literally was looking. I, I was my class had nine recruits and they all was like top recruits. Oh, wow. And bro, I just used to steal their game. Like I'm a professional game stealer. Like I would just whatever he would do, I'll do the same. And I put my own flair to it. And I will watch YouTube came alive around this time. And bro, for hours on top of hours, on top of hours, on top of hours. I would watch videos of Kobe, like just all day long. Like I didn't, I didn't, I never had a, a real college experience. I was literally cemented in the gym and behind this computer watching Kobe full games, not highlights, full games. Like that's how I learned how to play the game of basketball. My coaches did not really, I kind of was like a, I wasn't a guy that they really wanted to recruit. I was kind of like, okay, we got a scholarship here taken. Everybody else on my team had like an uncle who was the coach or a uh, a godfather who was the coach or he was the top player. I was none of that. So I went into a bad situation. But for some reason, all the seniors said that I had the brightest future. And I took that serious. Like, Uh (laughs) yeah, I took that serious. Man, that that just goes to show, though, like if you study and you have the dedication to study and understand – people like you, you, it, I, we call it like the, in the marketing world, you can call it like hacking, right? Like it's not, you're not stealing, you're hacking because mm-hmm. you're taking what they have and then you're implementing your own style into it. But I like that you said a professional game stealer. Um, yeah. that's, that's so, that's so awesome, man. So you, you were able to do that um, and develop into a, a more well-rounded athlete. But um to that point, I, I want to know, like, at what point did you know in the college world that you were capable of playing at the next level to actually get paid for it? Bro, once again, never. <laughs> <laughs> I never, like, in my brain, I was always going to be an NBA player. That, like, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I just knew that I was going to do it. I just prepared like I was going to do it. I didn't play. If you look at my stats, you'll see, like, two points, four points, six points, 21 points. I was yeah. on a bench. I was on a bench for three years of my career. The only reason I played because the guy who played in front of me, kneecap, uh, he he broke his kneecap. Oh wow! I made the pass to him. Like I was playing really? a three and a four, and when I made the the alley oop to him, I seen his kneecap cave in. And this this is the sickest moment of my career, and this is what I don't like about sports. I and I, I actually hated about sports to this day. When I seen his kneecap caved in, I felt no sorrow. Only thing I seen was, it's time. I was like, this the my opportunity. That's some sick stuff, bro. <laughs> like this yeah. man's career is probably over. And the only thing I'm thinking about is, whoo, it's my time. And from that moment, I had a double-double the next game. I started and I asked the coach for the keys to the gym. I didn't go home that summer. I Stopped talking to all my friends. I got one girlfriend. She played on the team. It's the girls' team. She rebounded for me, and we worked out three times a day. We ate like like we ate very basic meals, chicken and rice. Like I bulked up. I got athletic. I got a trainer. Paid for a a, a mobility guy. Like strengthened my hips and all the little things. Stretching, yoga. Bro, I came back. I was a machine. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I came back. I was a machine. I know I had one year left, 
And to go back to that, I don't want to ramble, but to go back to that um that make a pay mentality, my head coach came in the office um, and he told me to write down my goals, right? He told everybody to write down their goals, three goals for the season. And I had been playing against a guy who was in the NBA from our school named Orion Green. And he just was busting me up all week long. I just was a dummy for him. But then I started beating yeah. him. I was like, oh, it's on. So coach told us to write down the, the goals, right, for the season. And I was like, I'm going to be Sunbelt Player of the Year, Louisiana Player of the Year, Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year, Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year. He took the paper, threw it in my face, and said, you didn't take this serious. Oh, wow. He said, these are unrealistic goals. And all I'm thinking is, he got to pay. End of the season, he called me to the office. He was like, you already did it. It's like, I was Louisiana player of the year, Sunbelt player of the year. I'm a mention All-American. I think I was like one block behind Jeremy Evans, so they gave him defensive player of the year. But I led the conference in damn near every category. And that's the only way I figured I could be seen by NBA team. I had to separate myself. I couldn't be good. I had to be undeniable. And that's when I was like, oh, I can play, play on this next level. I actually quit school and went to Chicago to work out with Tim Grover. Mm -hmm. And all the top draft picks was there. And everybody was like, who is that guy? I could you can hear it. And I was like, oh, I'm ready. I went from one workout to like 32 NBA workouts, bro, in like one week. Oh. Dude, Tyron, this is what it, what's so inspiring about it, though, for me, at least as I've never been on that level. But just as a former athlete myself, just like, the mentality that you have, like, yeah, dude's knee caves in and it's unfortunate, but you took that as the next like opportunity. It reminds me of when you said, Hey, we went and played an AAU, played against Kevin Durant's team, dropped 34. Like you just keep like taking advantage of the opportunities when they're given to you. Um, when you have that opportunity, you have to take advantage. Like sometimes there's a small window in athletics of opportunity. And if you don't take advantage of them, it's not that sometimes people are super talented, but they just they don't take advantage of them. And so they don't get seen. They don't get the opportunities. You have done that, it, it, it appears. Then you're working out with Tim Grover. Shout out Tim Grover for Relentless. If you guys haven't read the book, got it sitting right here. One of my favorite books. Like that's that's pretty cool, man. Like you're 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 working out with dudes who have like trained the greatest of the greats. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they know what they're talking about, and you're getting into to workouts with the NBA, with NBA teams and as we get there, I just want to ask one question of your college experience. Do you have a favorite game or a favorite memory, favorite practice or something that stands out to you? And what was it? I would say, man, it's just a process. Just just going through college, just knowing you're not going to play. Just every time I'm getting emotional, but I ain't going to get emotional. <laughs> but just knowing you don't have a chance and just trying to create a chance, it was like, by the time I actually got a chance to play, every game I dominated. So it was no none was special because yeah. every game was like, I can't be normal or they're not going to pick, they're not going to draft me or they're not going to give me workouts. So I would just say that last game, the last, I would say the most memorable game would be my last game of my junior year. That's when I played for the first time, I played like 25 minutes. And I had like 15 and 12. I was like a double-double to end the season. I was like, oh, they got to pay. I'm like, I'm ready now. Like, that's the game that got me. Like, coach, let me get those keys. I ain't going home this summer. Everybody else, I'll stay in the dorm. 
I'm good. So I would say the last game of my junior season really put everything in motion for me. Yeah, because that's when you shifted and you said, okay, time to lock in. And yeah. uh, that's that's super cool, man. Um, a lot of kids, uh, you know, you mentioned something earlier, Tyron, that I, I wanted to touch base on. You talked about AAU, like back in the day, like even when I was in high school. I, I graduated high school in 2006, so probably around r- more or less the same time, like the same era of basketball of, of what you were going through. But back then, you we, in Idaho, for example, we had two clubs, Boise Flight and Idaho Select, and that was it. Like you had to be invited to play, you to even try out. You didn't get to just pay. Like, oh, nowadays it's like if mom and dad have twenty five hundred bucks for the season fee, then you can play. You yeah. know what I mean? Back then, you literally had to be invited. So there was two clubs to take all this high school talent. And um, anyway, there there wasn't opportunities there. And a lot of kids, even in, in in college now, if they were in your situation, they would say, "Okay, well, I've got a million different options now. I can just go play junior college basketball here. I can go here." Like they, they would just take. A different route and i'm not a, against that if it's what's best for the kid but what i've what stood out to me so far in your story is that y- you were talented enough but you were trying to create a chance like you just said trying to create a chance for yourself and then when you had that opportunity it's like okay then you had to make the sacrifice you stayed there during the summer during the off season you you put in three workouts a day you ate right you got yourself physical you got a mobility coach like you did those things and you took advantage of it i just think it's that's stuff that i think ne- needs to be said some kids think it's just going to happen to them not anymore. If you want to be seen, you've got to stand out. And that means you got to do more than the average. That's that's the reality of it. You got to do more than the average. So the workouts to the like to the professional level. I mean, you're doing NBA workouts. Talk about this whole next transition from collegiate to professional basketball and how it panned out for you. Well, it went back to man, you can see these guys. I'm working out with like Wes Johnson, Jerome Randall, Enos Cantor, all these guys, like. You can just see that they're miles ahead of me, right? <laughs> like, even though I've put in all this work, it's like they just have played on the bigger stage. And Tim Grover always used to tell me, he's like, I don't give a damn where they play that. You top three in, in this gym right now. And I noticed that my talent was on the same level, but I still didn't have the understanding of the game. Like when I played my first game against the Bulls, like the game was so fast. Like I could <laughs> going around. This was Derrick Rose, Carlos Boozer, Joe Kim Noah, Rip Hamilton. I had to guard Rip Hamilton as the first player I guarded in the NBA. Oh my gosh. Going off screens from Joe Kim Noah and, and Carlos Boozer. But just to go back to like the, the pre-draft workout, you gotta understand it's millions of dollars on the line. These dudes are like these workouts, bro, are like a bloodbath. <laughs> like you got six dudes sometimes, and me they didn't know what position I was. So I'll be in a workout where it's all centers. I had 34 workouts. It'll be all big men. It'll be the next workout. I went from Detroit working out against all centers to going to San Antonio working out with all point guards. So whoa. So it was like they thought I was like a Kawhi Leonard type of guy that I could just do everything. And that's how I was kind of marketing myself. But I just started playing basketball. I only played one year of college. So I don't know how to guard these guys from Duke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, man, it was, a, it was a grind. It was a super grind. Um, I had two real workouts where I worked out with the Bucks and the Knicks. I worked out with like a group of six. Then I worked out with a group of three for the Knicks. Then it was just me and Landry Fields. I don't know if you remember Landry Fields oh, from yeah. Stanford. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. And they, they literally told us it's going to be one of you guys. Like, so y'all go ahead and make it happen. And <laughs> they end up going with Landry, 40th pick. Um, he averaged 19 in the Pac-10. I averaged 19 in the Sun Belt. I would take Landry Fields too, you know. So that's how it ended up happening. The Bucks said I wouldn't get past him, but they ended up trading a pick. And I ended up I ended up going to preseason with the Pacers. But the names you just mentioned during that that era of basketball is absolutely wild to me. Like it's just it's wild to me. Um, and sometimes at the NBA level, from what I've you know I've discussed things with different athletes here on the show. Randy Livingston, another Louisiana guy, um, Jerry Stackhouse, Walter Bond, Chris Childs, a couple of these different dudes. They they've discussed like even like every level it gets a little bit more of a business mindset but like at the nba level there it's a business and there are very very limited opportunities there are so many like there's very few spots for people to make it it's different than college even though college is a similar thing but no like the nba you have a certain amount of people they're paying certain amount of money to certain people on contracts like sometimes you might be a more talented prospect or whatever but they've got other things in mind as far as their contract so it's it's very difficult to make it in the nba um but too, just talking about that Carlos Boozer era with Joakim Noah. I mean, the Bulls had a couple of years there with that. That's it's just crazy. You mentioned Jerome Randall. Is are you talking about like Randall, the dude who's like who was killing it for overseas elite for the TBT? Yeah, Is that who we're talking about? Yeah, he's from Chicago. When I went to Chicago, that's what I was with. Me, me and Jerome worked out every day together. Yeah, that's crazy, man. He's yeah. he's stellar, man. He's yeah. stellar. I like to watch, I like to watch him in TBT and stuff and see what he's doing because he's still, you know, highly like like a very, very high-level athlete. So start with the Pacers. At what point, Tyron, this is the, one of the things that a lot of professional or a lot of athletes don't, or the general public in general, they, they don't know how this works. But like, at what point did you decide, hey, man, like it's not going to work over here, but I can still get paid to play overseas? Because I know you played over in Belgium, to my understanding. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that for the first year. But like, at what point did you say, okay, I'm going to go over there and still fulfill my dream here and, and, and get paid to play? Yeah. I actually mis- misspoke. I went to Belgium first, then I went to France, then I came back to the Pacers. Ah, okay. Is that what happened? Yeah. All right. Yeah, my bad. But after I didn't get drafted, the Sacramento Kings called me like right after the draft. And they told me like, come to Sacramento. You're playing with us in Summer League. So I went to Sacramento like two months before Summer League. Okay. Uh, got there and they cut me. <laughs> Omri Caspi came back. They said he wasn't playing. He wanted to play summer league. It was my position. It was like, we're paying him a couple of mil a year. You got to yeah. go. Right? So basketball, I always say that I understood early that basketball, I seen that basketball wasn't about talent. Playing in the NBA wasn't about talent. It was like you had to be a little bit lucky. You had to fall yeah. into the right situation. All these guys are talented. But the situation didn't suit them. So my age and them, I didn't know nothing about overseas basketball. Now, I was a history major. I knew the geographical maps and stuff like that, but I studied African history most most of the um, time. So my agent was like, man, we got a job for you to go to Belgium for $125,000. I'm like, Belgium for 125 grand? Hell no. <laughs> they was like, man, it's like it's a good deal. I said, bro, if I'm going to go to Belgium, I need a meal. Like, I don't know nothing about overseas. I've never watched overseas games. Only thing I know about overseas is Brandon Jennings went over there and Ricky Rubio came over here. That's the only thing I know about overseas basketball. So they're literally, my mentor at the time in college was like, you're going, ain't nowhere in the world you're going to make 125000 potentially 150000 with the bonuses. 
in the world. You're getting on that plane. So they basically forced me on the plane. My mama thought I was going to Afghanistan. We're a country, bro. Like, <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm about to go in the, middle, in the Middle East somewhere. So I get off the plane in Belgium. I'm like, Jesus, I'm about to do my bid. I looked at it like it was a prison sentence. And I just looked at it like either go to the G League, make 30 grand, or go over here and make 125 grand. I'm like, all right, I'll go do the one-year bid. I'll come back in a year. I'm going to go dominate this, this child's league because that's how I looked at overseas basketball. And when I got there, oh, my God, did I ran into a rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I kind of noticed, like, when I seen the contracts, it was like, just stay in the G League. We're going to pick you up. I'm like, I don't believe you. I've been lied to too many times in these last three months since the draft. I'm going to go get the guaranteed money in Belgium. Man. That that's cool though. Like this is the stuff that I geek out at, like as a as a fan of the game, and just I have so much respect for overseas players because of that. Like I mean, it's the the level overseas is, I mean, in any in any country, there's some high level basketball players, and the money's it's not always the greatest depending on which country you're playing, and every league's different. Uh, I know there's different contract situations in different areas, but um, typically speaking, like it's actually a good situation because if you're a good player, the money is like. Taxing is different. Like for taxes, they'll cover a lot of your expenses as far as stay and, and sometimes a phone and sometimes a car. It depends on the contract and whatnot. But like sometimes the money you make is like literally the money you take home. Like it's uh, in a lot of ways. And it's it's kind of a cool situation. You mentioned something about the G League. For someone like yourself who's had experience on both sides of the fence there, I used to talk about that. Like they're, we're not keeping our best players stateside. We were, they were all going overseas. Like you did because there's better opportunities to make money and a living out there. Like you could go play five, 10 years. And if you're smart with your money, you could have some good stuff for investments and build businesses and so forth. Coming over here to try to stay in the G league for a, a, an opportunity that may never come making 30 grand a year at the time was tough. But I'm, I'm curious your thoughts there. Like, do you feel like the, the overseas option was better for you overall to stay over there that rather than trying to stay here in the G league and not make a lot of money, even though it's still a grind. I think coming overseas, yes, because, bro, it gets real political, like anything else. So it's like once I love, once you lose that buzz, it's like you see how seniors are now like they don't care about seniors; they want the next freshman. You know, so it's not even that he's not good. Like we just realizing that what's the what's the point of Brunson from the Knicks? Yeah, people are just realizing like he's one of the best players, bro. He was college basketball player of the year. It's <laughs> championships, you know. Like we got Frank Frank Mason the third on our team right now. I'm like, they're like, yo, he's still good. I'm like, bro, he was MVP of the G League, college basketball player of the year. Like, you, it just made sense because the buzz was starting to leave. It was looking at the next crop of young guys. They're looking at the next wingman that's versatile. So I'm like, this G League stuff. They'll send guys down. Some guys wouldn't play no more for the rest of the season. I'm just like, I can go over here and this is my team. And I can yeah. really showcase my game. And that's how I kind of looked at it. Like, I'm going to do a quick 10-month jail bid. You know, they pay for everything. The only thing I had to buy was gas and food. Everything else was free. Car, rent, everything was free. Um, so, yeah, it made sense. It just made sense at the time because I wasn't a big-name player. Now, if I was a big-name player, go to the G League, bro. If you like right there on the cusp, you play that Texas University and you've been on the on the scene for three, two or three years, 
stay in the G League because you close. Me, I was a I was a, a a hot shot. Just came out of nowhere, you know. Yeah, I was overachieving. Overachievers get out of there. Don't go to the D League. Go overseas, make a name for yourself because you overachieving. Go continue to overachieve and make the NBA call you. But for the guys that's there, the the five stars who just had a bad spell at Duke or Kansas, played 10, 12 minutes, but you're still on the bubble, go to G League because it's the fastest way to the NBA. Ah, I like that. I like that advice. One thing I, I listened to your podcast, I learned this from you, Tyron. Uh, it was, I don't know when you recorded it, but I just listened to the latest one and it was about being honest with yourself. So you're talking about being honest with yourself. I'm curious, like, how that's played a factor in in your career, being honest with yourself, like, rather than blaming a coach, blaming a parent, blaming a situation, blaming, just like more being honest with yourself, looking in the mirror saying, okay, you know, I suck at this. I'm not, the, the, it's my fault. Like taking the ownership, basically, just like Jocko Willink would say in extreme ownership, just like take ownership of the situation. How has that played a role in your make and pay mentality throughout your entire career from the time you were little all the way up until now when you're playing still professionally? Right. I would say from when I was little, just being honest with myself, I knew when I was little, I knew I wasn't the best player because I was getting picked last. So I'm like, all right, I got to find a way to start getting picked first or second, at least second, right? But I was cool with being picked last. So I was like, I get to surprise everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got to college, all those guys had pressure on them as freshmen and sophomores. I had no pressure. <laughs> so I was like, bro, you suck, bro. Like, <laughs> But what you can do is you're better than everybody in here at outworking. So I was like, all right, don't do the fancy stuff. Just run, jump, scream, yell, somebody fall, run over, pick them up. Clap energy guy, right? And when I got to the when I got to be a pro, I just knew by the time I became a pro, I felt like I didn't have no holes in my game. Yeah. And I was honest with myself, but here comes the opportunity, right? This, I, I ended up going to the Pacers training camp a second time. And here goes those small opportunities. You can't mess them up, right? I got comfortable. The making pay mentality was gone. I'd have made about Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. Bank account is kind of fat now. I'd have been overseas two or three years. I'm like, oh, I'm here. I'm gonna make this team. And I was distracted by friends, taking care of family members. I was jewelry, clothes, cars, women. All those distractions took took that edge away from me. And I see my game. Slip me and Paul Jones was right here. That was my guy. Me and Paul Jones was all since pre-draft, battling it out, battling it out. And every year I went overseas, I seen Paul do this. <laughs> when I came back to preseason, I did everything right. If you'd have seen the preseason game, the inner squad game, the crowd was chanting, sign him, sign him. Me and Paul got like apartments. I was like, better get one right next to him. Um, or somewhere near him, because that's who I was closer with, and Lance Stevenson. And Frank Vogel called me in the office the last day. Was like, we gonna let you go. And I'm like, what? You, it's no way y'all. I'm like, it's no way y'all can cut me. I it, I can't play no better than this. Yeah. You know, you know what Frank Vogel told me, bro? What's up? Say you're too good. I said, what? what? What did you just say to me? He said you're too good. We didn't sign you to be too good. We signed you to be a floor spacer. 
we thought you was a three-point shooter. It was like, no, you're a shot maker. So you can make threes, but you're not just going to sit in the corner and play. They wanted me to be a 3 and D guy. This is when 3 and D guys became uh, famous yeah. around the league. It was like, you're Paul George. We already got Paul George. You guys are the same age. What are we going to do with you? All you're going to do is kill his confidence because I was attacking Paul every day in practice. <laughs> and we did the same thing. I was running ball screens. I was coming off the screens. I was posting up. I was like, you're doing too much. It's like we didn't know you could do all of those things. And that's when I realized, like, I had to be honest with myself, like, I'm a better European player than I am an NBA player. Because in the NBA, it's only two guys. There's two stars, and we need eight or nine guys to support those two stars. I am not a good supportive, supportive. I can't be PJ Tucker. I got yeah. too much, I got too much knowledge for that. I got too much skills to just settle for three and D. The money was good, but I've been making money since I was 11, bro. I never really played basketball for money. It was the challenge. It was the make and pay aspect that kept me young. You know, so I just always was very honest with myself saying, like, bro, you might not be the best ball handler, but you're one of the best passers in the world. You might not be the best spot-up shooter, but you knock down threes with the best of them. Right? And you might not be one of the best defensive players, but you're going to work your butt off. But I knew I had holes. Yeah. You know, so and that kept me humble. That kept me humble. Man, that's so insightful, Tyron. I appreciate you sharing that because that, that that's like that's gold information, especially for aspiring athletes who are going up there. Like just to give them a little bit of an insight to what you were doing. So, you know, as as we wrap up the interview, I kind of just want to ask you three questions. First being being overseas for you know the better part of the last decade or more, you know, like just understanding like the overseas game, the professional game, just understanding it. What is your favorite place you've played and why? Like favorite um, country that you've played in and why? Favorite country, I would say, is uh, it's a hard be between Japan and Mexico. I'm gonna have to go Mexico, bro. And why? Have to go why? Why? Why about that? Because Mexico is the lowest league I played in, and I had no expectations. I actually thought I signed on a team, but it was a different team. They just had the same logo, and just me being the curious guy I am, I ended up staying in the league and playing and I was on the worst team and we ended up being undefeated going to the championship, lost in the championship because I burnt my feet on cryotherapy. Me and my, me and two other Americans burned our feet in the cryotherapy chamber. So we played, they didn't play. I played on my tiptoes the whole game. My, my heel was frozen, but, um, just the atmosphere of Mexico, bro, it was like 1990. Like, the gym was hot. It was no cameras in there. Like, every gym, every game was packed because it was like villages. And it was like, it was a fight. It wasn't basketball, bro. It was like a real fight, but we grew together. And, like, that team bonded like no other. You know what I'm saying? All other teams felt like 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 business, but this team felt like like family, you know? Yeah, super cool, man. That's that's awesome. Um, to go along with all this, what what do you think? You know, Tyron is the biggest life lesson that basketball has taught you. I know you played all the other sports going up, but like from the time you kind of really focused in on basketball from sixteen till now, last twenty years or so, uh, how, what's the biggest life lesson basketball's taught you? Basketball has taught me that life ain't about basketball. Life is about family. Like even the locker room, that's family. The the people that help you get to where you are, that's family. 
extended family, not just your blood family. Like basketball has shown me how to love people from different races, different ethnicities, different cultures, understand people. It opened my mind to the world and realized that this game is so small when it comes down to life. (laughs) When it comes down to life, bro, the people that you meet, the relationship that you build, that's like, that's the real win. Basketball, this is just like something I can do till I'm about 40 years old so I can pass it down to the next generation, have a little fun and and stuff like that. But so many guys are like, ball is life. I'm like, no, it ain't. (laughs) Ball is ball. (laughs) You know, so um, I would say that's the best. It's taught me that family is the most important thing Uh, and good relationships is the most important thing in life. I love that, man. And I love the honesty there. And the last question I got for you, Tyron, is what's next for you? You know, like when the time comes, you mentioned, oh, I was going to retire this year. Then I, I'm playing, you know. But when the time comes, when it's time to hang him up, what what's next for, you know, Tyron Johnson? Bro, I've retired like two, three times, to be honest with you. It's the money. I'm still making a good salary over here. You know, I've never really made under six figures in my career. And it's cool, but I've been preparing to get rid of basketball. My dream was the NBA. My dream was never to play international. Told you, I love the game, but like I'm not. I've been making money since I was 11. Uh, so, yeah. so it's like at one point I was coming here just for the money. So I've been doing like um, one of my best friends, a digital marketer and uh, online online market. I don't know what the, the correct name is, but he taught me how to like use Adobe Suite, Photoshop, Illustrator. So I started doing logos and shooting music videos and websites and all just building brands. It's my second year out. And I was making about the same money doing that as I was playing basketball. So now I'm playing basketball pure for the love. There's no reason I should be here. I can make twice the money I'm in America that I'm making here right now playing basketball. Yeah. bro. So I'm going to run camps, write books. Uh, I'm going to probably speak some. Uh, I'm going to build brands. Uh, I have my boy market uh, some guys. Yeah, bro. I got a lot of stuff. I'm like a serial entrepreneur, I guess you can call it. I love it. I love it. That's kind of my world too, man. That's 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 cool that you're doing that because that's the world. I, I mean, full time jobs. I work with a company that we, we work with entrepreneurs all day long, and I am one myself. I'm one of my media businesses too, so I have a lot of respect for that. Now to go with that, Tyron, where can we find you? Do you have a website? I mean, Instagram is where I had you too. Do you, I, I can link the Instagram account, but where would you, you know, if people are interested in your services at at some point, where can I link them to? Everything is Tyron Johnson. TyronJohnson.com. Tyron Johnson YouTube. Tyron Johnson Instagram. Twitter. Facebook. Yeah, everything is Tyron Johnson. We got you everywhere. So I'm going to link it all in the description for those who are listening. Make sure you go check it out. You'll you'll see Tyron and see his website. I've already checked it out myself, so I want to make sure that everybody else can see it. And you know, take advantage of his his content and his knowledge. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do too. If you got some books coming out, I'll definitely buy them. Um, I want to make sure to to stay in touch with you. You got a fan in me now, man. And I just want to say thanks again, Tyron, for joining me and sharing your insight with us. That was super super cool. And you know, hopefully we can we can chat it up again in the future, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, man. I'm coming out there to Boise for sure next summer at uh, the 24-hour hoops. So we definitely can link up. Oh, yeah, for sure. You hit me up whenever you're down here. Maybe we can get uh, a camp going. I can get my athletes over there or something. We can get to, get them in contact with you, too. So let's stay in touch. And um, for all those who are listening, like I said, just hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Let us know what you thought of Tyron's interview. And uh, you know the drill. We'll be coming to you next week with another one. 
Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.